Well, I've been reading through Ephesians a little bit. I think I want to go there this morning. And I want us to kind of, I think today, I want to preach something that we don't want to forget about. And I feel that in this generation, uh, this message is being forgotten about. And it's not just this generation, it's from many generations, but the fruits really, the bad fruits really coming forward. We're going to just start in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So we start off with seeing Paul is writing to the whole church in Ephesus, or at least the ones who are faithful. And Because you know you can have a church where not everyone is faithful. You can have a church where not everyone's holy. You can have a church where not everyone's perfect. They say, if you find the perfect church, don't go to it. Because if you go to it, it won't be perfect anymore. And Paul throws in a little zinger, says, I, the Apostle Paul. But it doesn't say, because I am great. It says, by the will of God. <laughs> so I'm an apostle, not by my will, but by the will of God. And I think that's where I want to go to today, is I want us to not forget about the body of Christ. And I want to stop from trying to be something that God hasn't put you in yet. I think because we have glamorized, I'm going to try to be careful. The church world has glamorized the pulpit and made the pulpit instead of a, um, an encourager for you to walk in your calling, it's made it, this is the goal. When I follow God, he blessed me and put me in this great position. You know, too bad you're just a unblessed person. God promoted me to this position to be speaking here today behind this pulpit. And obviously, if you're not behind the pulpit, then you just haven't been promoted yet to your great calling. And I think because of that, because we have made the church a two-tiered system, you have the five-fold ministry, they're the anointed ones, they're the, the mighty men and women of God, they're the ones who get respect and get offerings. And then you got the rest of the church. So the rest of the church, all we want from you is to come on Sunday, give your donation, and then I want you to bring a few people. Maybe Saturday you can come out and do some soul winning. So we turn the church into either soul winners or into financial people, but they're not promoted to preaching yet because they're not qualified yet. And a lot of the church world accepts that. Because what a deal. You mean, I get to go to a church. I don't have to really pray or seek God or spend time in the Word. I don't have to listen too much. I'll listen to if I, who to witness to. And I hear a lot of people confuse hearing of the Holy Ghost with the leading of the Holy Ghost. See, leading of the Holy Ghost, 99% of the time, He'll put you in the prayer closet to deal with yourself. And so a lot of people try to avoid that, and they go for hearing the Holy Ghost. They switch it, saying, 
You just need to quit learning so much and praying so much and be led by the Holy Ghost. And what they mean is go out on the streets and listen to who God wants you to pray for. A lot of times when you listen to the Holy Ghost, he'll say, yeah, the people will always be there, but you need to grow up. And so I watch a lot of people avoid the growing up process because they want to get to the going and doing process. Because it's much easier for me to deal with you than it is for me to deal with me. Some of you will get that next week. (laughs) And so the message here is to the body of Christ, the faithful ones, and that God put me in the position of apostles, as Paul is saying. And because we have made the pulpit, and I'm talking about the church in general, the generations that I've been involved with, what's happened is we have many people pursuing the pulpit position or one of the fivefold titles because they don't feel like they're worth anything unless that's what they're doing. So in many pulpits today, we have men who are called to be administrators who are trying to be pastors. They're harnessing their people professionally to where the people don't grow, but that's not their job. As an administrator, they have other plans for people. And the swing that happens, you ever, ever notice the swing when, you know, we see it in politics every four years, you see a swing to the left and then to the right. Don't worry, because, you know, next vote, we'll get our chance to get back at them. So there's always a swing left to the right. You ever notice that? Like, well, man, why can't we just be consistent and just pick one vein, one line? Well, in everything, there's always a reaction to certain things. And one of the reactions to, say, the holiness message, which is, I'm going to please you. I'm going to have a siren around, and I'm going to come into church as a preacher. I'm going to please all of you. Women who are wearing makeup and short hair in colorful clothing and jewelry, I'm going to harass you, and I'm going to be the policeman in your life. And I'm going to make you uncomfortable until you change. And man, you know, you need to be a certain way and acting a certain way. So because we have, holiness came in as a dictator to people, then the pendulum swung to the other side to a false grace message. I said, hey man, God just loves me the way I am. I don't have to try for holiness. Well, I think the same thing has happened to the church, where it went from strong, be a part of church, be faithful to church, slam, and you come and, and give your offering, and we got the fivefold ministry, to where there was a swing over to where it went to, we don't need church. What are you doing in church? Church, church, you, you, church doesn't have walls. We don't attend church. We are the church. And that is true. But what they're trying, some of them are trying to say is, you don't need to have an apostle, a pastor, a teacher, evangelist in your life, or a prophet in your life. You just need to do your own thing. And so there's been a dismissiveness towards what someone might might call the church, but really it's the body. And so what we want to try to do is find that balance where, you know, we have man's opinions on one side, Man's opinions on the other side. We want the Holy Ghost opinions, amen? About you and about how the church is supposed to look like. So let's jump over to chapter 3. And I'm just going to start reading verse 14. We're going to read down for a while here. 
For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, this message is not to the fivefold ministry. This message is to the church. So he's telling the church here to grow up in the love of God. Might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church of Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I want to be clear here that the message of growing up in the love of God and maturing is not just for the anointed ones, the called ones. It's for the whole body. We have in our, how do I say, our DNA of the way we think about church we have many man's doctrines that need to be rooted out of us that we don't even know is there. And I always like to go back to Gary's preaching when he, we got his message on the widow's might. And we know the Holy Ghost gave it to him, but Gary's the one who preached it the first time I heard it. I never heard anyone else preach that. But all you have to do is read your Bible and find out it was correct. <laughs> and the shockingness that hit me when I realized that what I had heard my whole Christian life in thousands, I would say probably thousands, but maybe not quite that many of, of offerings. Now, I have been in the thousands of offerings, but maybe not that message all the time. But, hey, the widow might give her last two cents. You need to give what you can. And how much bad advice I gave through the years to people who were going through a hard time. Just be faithful and give to the church. Don't worry if you starve. Just be faithful and give to the church on that idea what that meant. And when Gary taught, that was really the opposite, <laughs> that you know God was rebuking the Pharisees for taking her last bit of money. It shocked me to the core because it said to me, wow, if this is so much, this truth that I felt was so cemented in church doctrine is so wrong that it's the exact opposite, <laughs> then what else is in me that is wrong? Because God can work for truth, but he can't work with error. And so how much else is wrong? What is in us that is just culture, that has been cultured in us by our history with serving God? We have two groups of people I'm trying to share that's in our culture, not here at the prayer center, but in the culture we come from. If you've been to church at all in your life, then this culture has been preached to you somewhere. And it's the idea that the, either the church has five bosses in the church, pastor, apostle, and they fight who's in charge. You know, the pastor will say, my job is the most important. The apostle will walk around and say, you need to submit to me. You need to submit to me. And so there's usually a, a fight of ownership. And usually they make a, a negotiation like, hey, we're going to receive the tithe, and that's for the church. And then your offering will go to the, the speaker. 
You know, so we even have terminology and things that we have been raised in, if you've been involved with church, that may not be accurate to God's heart and his plan for the church. So the pendulum swings when certain people get tired of feeling not as important, or they keep pushing towards, um, oh Lord, my favorite is the, the non-pastor guy who, who wants to be the non-pastor. Hey, we're starting a group. None of us are going to church, so we're not going to have like leadership or we're not going to have anything like that. It's just a free place to come and pray and, and hear the word of God. Have you ever heard someone try that on you? Well, I call him the non-pastor pastor because he's saying he's not, oh, we're not going to be the pastor. We're just going to get together and love each other, worship together. The problem is there's always a leader. Someone's teaching the word. Someone is in charge. In any group, there's someone who's the strongest, and they'll be the one who's in charge whether they say it or not. So that's just a sneaky way of trying to get people who are hurt into their non-church, which is really a church. Some of you may get that next week. And then the pendulum swings both ways. And, you know, we are believing, as we call a Joel army, where everyone believes that they have the right because they're a born-again believer, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Wherever you are, whether you're home with your kid or whether you're at work or at school, and that it's not just in the church that we should be expecting miracles. So we're believers of Joel's army. But many people who are excited about Joel's army are the ones who might say something like, Oh, I knew it. God's going to use me. But the problem with Joel's army for that person is the message isn't that God's going to use you. The message means that you have to grow up as much as the preacher is and the apostle. You have to love as much as the, the pastor would. You have to know God as well as the teacher would. See, that you have to mature so that God can trust you. So it's not a license to say, hey, church, doesn't matter who you are, just go out and pray for people. It's a it's a marking to say if you're part of Joel's army, you're going to have to grow up too. You can't just sit around and, and attend church and say you're going to be part of Joel's army without growing up. There's been more slaughter because of the let's go do message. Let's go out and do. Let's go pray for people. It's good for the church, but it's unhealthy for the world. Why do you think the world today is very confident that the church Christianity is no more important or has no more special value than any other religion. It's just another philosophy because the church has gone forward doing without the power of God showing up and been okay with that because the goal in that message is not what is accomplished. It's that I went and did something in the name of God. I'll try that again in case you missed it. The goal isn't to what can be accomplished I see a man who's broken. Uh, it's obvious he's broken. You know, the worst thing you can do is attend a faith seminar with a wheel, in a wheelchair because everyone will want to practice praying for you. But the problem is, is if we're praying for people and they're not recovering when we pray for them, we didn't hear God. I'm going to say that again in case someone missed that. If you go out and pray for someone, who didn't ask you. You went and approached them because you've seen an obvious need. They're either poor, 
and they're driving a poor car, and you could let them pray. I'll give you five bucks, but I get to pray for you. Yeah, okay. And if you're on social media, you'll take a video of it. If someone is sick, obviously, you have a need. Obviously, I'm going to pray for you. If that's your goal, to be used of God by praying for people, you're wrong. That's because you are caught up in the culture and the deception of the generation, thinking my value is not important unless I'm doing something like this. The word of the Lord says God sent, Jesus sent them to heal the sick. Pray and see them recover and see them healed. And so if someone comes to you and asks for prayer, that's different. You pray for them and, and believe with them and whether it happens or not, God's used you because they came to you because they saw something in you that said, this person loves God, knows God, can help me. But we have a whole practice, and I was caught up in it for years. We're going out and just doing. Going out and praying for people, finding people, trying to get them saved. You know why we have so many people? I think they say, I'm on my rant. I'm trying to be careful, but too late. Take a crusade. Maybe you've seen that. We do a soul-winning, your church did a soul-winning weekend. And everyone went out to the fair and shared Jesus, and they came back Saturday night. We had a little celebration. All right, what's, this, what's the testimony? So I prayed for this one, and they cried, and this one, and that was all good. But how many got saved? But we had 150 saved. Praise the Lord. Well, tomorrow at church, it should be fantastic. We were pull out extra chairs. And then tomorrow at church, you didn't add any, maybe one or two. Well, where's the 148? Where did they go? Well, when we practice a, a watered-down salvation message, then you're not going to get the fruit of people growing in the things of God. One fellow, he was known as the greatest personal soul winner in the world. That's kind of how he advertised himself. And so my church up in Canada, when I was youth pastor, brought him in. And his philosophy was just how to get people to say the sinner's prayer. So he grabbed people. Hey, you need Jesus or you're going to hell. Well, I don't care. My friends are in hell. That's where I'm going. Well, can I at least pray with you? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. You can pray for me. And he said, most people don't stop you from praying for him. And he says, let me just pray, God bless you. God bless this man. Touch his life. Show yourself to him. Hey, just say this after me. Say, Jesus... Okay, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my heart. Amen, amen. God bless you. One down, got him saved. Now, he didn't believe in his heart. He just repeated what someone told him to say, usually to get them out of there. In fact, that's probably the biggest testimony you get from the world. I just let him pray for me, speak to me. I said yes, just to get him out of my face. Some of you are going, yep, I know what you're talking about. Well, the pendulum swings back and forth, and we don't want to be swinging one generation to another generation to another generation. And you'll see it. They have generations. They have, like, baby boomers, and then they have, I think it's generation, is it X after that? And then they have the millennials, and then, you know, every generation Z. They all have different little personalities in each generation. You wonder why that is, because that's the pendulum swinging you got the baby boomers who are hard workers and, you know, put your nose to the grindstone, quit complaining, and then you went right over to the hippies. And uh, they were like, free love, the opposite. And then there's a pendulum back to, you know, we need to work and make finances. And back to where it's in all generations, including the church. 
where there is a reaction to someone going a certain way, and it's usually the opposite reaction. And I think one of the opposite reactions of the church being built so strongly on a five-fold ministry, meaning us five-fold ministry are important and special, and we're here to give you things. So you need a healing, you come to the church. You don't go pray for someone, you, you bring them to church. And so it's job security in some ways, you might say. And so feeling less important means that you try to find importance somewhere. I was talking to one young guy, and he's like, yeah, I can't wait till revival breaks out. Laying hands on the sick and seeing them all recover. We'll be all busy praying for people. And I said, well, who's going to run camera? Because what was in his mind was, unless I'm doing that, I'm useless. Unless I am the one praying for the sick and seeing them recover in the prayer line, unless I'm the preacher where everyone goes, wow, that was such a good word, or ooh, that was so anointed. And these things drive men and women to, to act a certain way to get that approval from the crowd. Pastor Dave says that selfish ambition is as, as addictive as cocaine. Once you get a taste of it, it's hard to get rid of it. And so we've seen over the years the church swing back and forth. And when you have a crowd that feels not important, at first it feels great because I also don't have the responsibility. You mean I don't have to hear God every day? I don't have to read my Bible that much? I just get to show up on Sunday, give my offering, tell a few friends about Jesus, invite them to the Christmas program, and I've done my duty. I'm good. And it removes the actual calling of the gospel to you individually need to spend time with God, learn from God by yourself, and grow up in God. There's no shortcut to the high call of God for anyone. Verse 17 of chapter 3. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. So he's talking about you individually. And then he says, may comprehend with all the saints. So the message here I'm trying to pull out is that the message of growing up personally is for everyone. That you got to grow up and we all have to grow up if we're going to complete the work that God wants for us. God may tell you, Rachel, I want you to come up and preach. Rachel will say, might say, well, I've, I haven't really preached from the pulpit very much. I'm a little nervous. But he also may say, Rachel, I want you to share the gospel with your neighbor. And she can't hide and say, well, God, I'm not a preacher. I'm not supposed to do that. Let me call my pastor. Come and, you know, and God will give you directions. And it's easy to go so far to say, I am independent. I am alone. So what I do or don't do doesn't affect anyone else. But when you see these words here, verse 17, And Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. 
what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So the church world has gone through a season where it went to, there were days long ago where only the preacher was allowed to read the Bible and allowed to interpret the Bible. You just had to take the preacher by his word. I don't think they even had, and many years ago, didn't even have a Bible in your language. You just had to take the preacher as being the one who told you what was what. To where they watered down the whole message that none of us have jobs. We're all the same. And that's the message I really want to be careful of today. That we're all the same. That we all have one job. To go out and win souls, pray for them, pray for the sick. That is not the job of the church alone. The job of the church is not to get people saved. The job of the church is to make discipleship of all men, disciples of all men. Disciples means there is a passing on of information from one, one group to another group. There is a maturing, a growing in knowledge, a growing in things with the help of people doing that. And we don't want it, we want to be careful not to get watered down. I'm not talking about us, but I'm just making a, I'm planting a flag in the ground for the church world to say that's not how it's supposed to be. That it's not supposed to be that everyone is just on their own and I don't affect you, you don't affect me. But see, when you're part of a body, you affect each other. That's being part of a body. And you cannot get away that you are, all, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. Billy here is a child of God by himself. And the Holy Ghost is his helper. But not only personally are you called as a child born, as a child of God, called to growth, you also are corporately part of a body. That means you have a job that is specific for you that the person next to you isn't supposed to do. And that means when you realize that, that my job, because there's many believers right now who aren't doing their job. They're not trying to grow in their job. They're not not trying to hear. I'm talking about the church as a whole. They're not trying to hear God for his direction. They're pursuing either the pulpit or being a great entrepreneur. It's usually those two things. No one wants to be called to the cameraman. No, I'm a great entrepreneur. I want to bring billions of dollars into the kingdom. Yeah, but can you, can you scrub the floor? No, no, I'm not called to that. But when I talked to that young man, he said, oh, I said, well, how does the camera guy, who's he? If you think the main role, the only role that's important is praying for the sick. I said, what about the camera guy? Oh, that's the guy who doesn't pray. But see, that's the mindset of someone who's pursuing a position and thinks that's important. That position is going to give him value. But when you realize that the position of leadership is more of a servanthood position, that it costs you and doesn't give to you. If you're not using your position in the body to gain for yourself, you find out it's work. It's not 
rewarding like what some people want it to be. So if you were to find out that the apostle is actually called to be the bottom laborer, the hardest laborer in the church, which we can read in 1 Corinthians, but I won't go there today. That the apostle is actually the under rower, the guy who does the laborer. There, Paul said, we're the off-scouring of the earth. We're the ones who the devil beats up the most. Pastor Dave said it's like you take a scouring pad and rub, 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 rub. That's, your, that's you being rubbed by the devil because of your apostleship. And that you're to take the cares of the church and help people and give your life to people. That you're a servant to the people, not the king of the people. Then many people will stop trying to be an apostles. But we have so many people now striving to be apostles. It's, it's amazing. You know, someone said, what are you going to do if social media shuts down? You won't be an apostle anymore. You won't be a prophet all of a sudden. So the message today is, let's get back in line and let's make sure that we understand we are a part of the body. And you've heard me tell the story before. The young man who was born with one small kidney friends of ours, the doctor said, well, he, uh, he has one small kidney, not two kidneys, one small one. And the doctor said that that kidney will probably be able to filter his blood until he gets to be about 14. Then the body will be too big for the little kidney. And sure enough, that's what happened. Around that age, his little kidney couldn't keep up with all the, the way the body had matured and grown. And he had to get a transplant. Well, if you're part of the body, and let's say you're the kidney, and you take the philosophy, well, I'm just not important. I have no real value to God because I'm not behind the pulpit. So I don't have to pray or seek God or help or be involved. I'm just going to sit around and enjoy life and be faithful to church. It's an enticing message for many people because it allows them to just wander through life without expectation. Don't have a care in the world. If you don't have a care in the world, it's not because you've given your cares to God. It's because you haven't taken your responsibility in the body of Christ. Because if the kidney doesn't show up, you're in trouble. Did your kidney ever say to you, I'm just a little tired today. I need a weekend off. You'll be calling 911. Something's not right. Well, this is what I see much of the church world today. People putting their calling on the shelf and accepting a lesser value for their place in the body. That my place in the body is wandering around, praying for people, prophesying to people, Speaking to people. I'm just wandering around. That's my job. Because when you get hold of your job, which is assigned to you by God, sometimes it's a one-job job. It's a place where no one gets to see you. I always call Derek. He's, he does the sound here, but he, you know, I call him the best pastor I've ever met. Because throughout my, my last 12 years, I've heard all kinds of people from all over the world yeah, I was going through a hard time, and Derek sent me this audio, and Derek sent me this email, and 
most people are like, well, who's Derek? <laughs> Where is this guy? I need him. You know, you've been here a few years. You know, you've sniffed Derek out. But if you didn't have a good nose, you know, wouldn't know who Derek is. Are you Derek? Are you Derek? Who's Derek? I need someone to thank. Who's Derek? What would we do without a Derek? And if Derek was brainwashed to think that his only special value was going out and, say, winning souls, that doing what he does, what God's called him to do, is not that important, then we would be losing the heart of our body. I had an argument. I taught something similar. You know, my message is, if you go back 15 years, are pretty much the same. And I taught something similar many years ago here at the prayer center. And there was a couple strong personality people in the church who were leaving and were under the impression that all this praying in tongues and worshiping and private worship and meditating the Word was a waste of time. You know, the devil will get in there if you're not careful. And we've all struggled with that when it got hard. Like, don't, why do I have to do this? And I look over that big church over there. They're not doing this. You know, most of you have prayed in tongues, spent more time with the Holy Spirit than most preachers do in America today. And I was walking out of the, the church, and he caught me in the lobby, this one guy, and said, you know what you're preaching is wrong. It's an error. And I said, what? You call me out. I get to fight back, you know. And he said, yeah, it's all wrong. The job of the church is to go out and pray for people. Go out and win souls. That's it. And I said, well, here's my answer, my Canadian answer back. I said, well, you know, tonight, Wednesday night in church, my little wife is at home with Harrison, my son, who's only, you know, a few months old at the time. And I said, she's changing his diaper and nursing him, being a mother to him. Do you think that that's an important job? Or does she, do we need to hire a babysitter so she can go out and knock on doors? Does she need to remove herself from that job so she can do what you say is the only calling we're supposed to do? And I was trying to make a point that we have all have different important callings. And when one does their job, it allows someone else to do their job. And I want us as a church to understand in God's eyes, you are an individual who he wants to grow up. We've seen that. But he's placed you in a body where you are connected to others that need you to grow up in your job. He has a job for you, a specific job. It's called your calling. Everyone is called. The moment you're born again, your calling comes forward, and God begins to take you down two paths at the same time if you let him. One is your individual growth, spiritual growth. That's why we pray and fast and meditate the word. But the other is that will come forward is your specific job to go do something. Do you know that there are people who will never win a soul, but will get bigger rewards in heaven than someone who's won 100 souls or 1,000 souls? Do you know there's people who will never lay hands on the sick and will get bigger rewards than people who have laid hands on thousands of people? What? Well, in your job, you'll find that you'll be more specific in doing what God's called you to do than trying to do what someone else wants you to do. I've been 
in my younger years, maneuvered to be doing jobs I wasn't supposed to do. And I think it's good as you're growing and figuring things out to try a little bit of everything. It won't hurt you. You know, we're all called to win souls, but we're all not called to be evangelists. We're all called to hear God, but we're all not called to be prophets. We're all called to teach the word, but not everyone's called to be a teacher. We have it in us as an individual to operate in all these things. That's the message we believe by Joel's army, is that all of us should believe and have the right for seeing the sick healed because of the anointing of the believer. But also in that, I want to be careful that we don't remove our jobs in the body of Christ in the name of going out and praying for people. Because what are you going to do when you get someone healed and they're not saved? Hopefully you'll lead them to the Lord. Amen. So now what are you going to do with them? You just birthed someone into the kingdom of God. Or you help God birth someone in the kingdom of God. Now you've got a little baby. Little tiny baby just born. Vulnerable. Going to need his diapers changed. Going to need to be fed. And you just birthed that by your actions. What are you going to do? I'm talking to you like a pastor now. What are you going to do with that little baby? Oh, that's not my job. I'm just, going to, I'm just called to get him birthed. Well, that is, might be true if you had your part of a body that supplied the rest of the things. But if you're on your own freelancing, I'm a freelance evangelist. Let's go around telling people about Jesus and the love of Jesus and praying for him. Well, what's going to happen the day you get someone saved? What are you going to do with them? They need to be fed and diapered. And, and every mama will tell you. Well, not every mama. Most mamas. You got to be careful. will tell you. I had no idea how demanding a baby would be until I had my first baby. And you see them. They're all, their little belly, they got pictures on Facebook of their little belly sticking out and little, little there it is, there it is. And you know, every month it's the size of a pea, it's the size of a grape, the size of a grapefruit, and they're all excited. And then for about six weeks you don't see nothing because they're exhausted. They're having to feed that baby every night. Change, that baby won't shut up. It won't leave them alone. It, call, it means constant uh, practice, constant giving. And like, man, I want to nap, but I have to wait till the baby naps. And right when the baby naps, the dog barks. And, and how many mamas have that story? That little infant took all your energy until it grew up, right? And now you're proud of it, and you've you got pictures of your grandkids and all those things. And, but when you had the baby, it was demanding. So what are you going to do, Mr. World Evangelist, Joel's Army Evangelist? When you get someone saved... And you got a little baby, or are you going to say, this is too much work. I'm just going to leave it here. And that's the reason why many people say the sinner's prayer, but never end up walking into their calling or growing up in God. They end up going back into the world and receiving all kinds of garbage from all kinds of spiritual people who aren't really godly people. What if I told you, if you got them saved, you're not going to spend the next 18 years pouring into that person? Maybe you might be a little more careful who you want to lead to the Lord. A little more argumentative with God. God says, hey, I want you to go witness to this person. No, God, that means I've got to take care of them. That's going to be too much work. 
That's going to be too much work, God. Don't make me do it. Yes, do it. Okay, I'll do it because he told me to. Because he says you're ready for that. Rather than just going around and trying to tell everyone about Jesus and leaving them there to die and be abused by the world, by unhealthy uh, preachers. It has to be corrected. This must be corrected in our body of Christ. It must be corrected or we will be a dysfunctional body. We'll have a dysfunctional church. If we feel that we are so independent that what I do in life doesn't affect everyone around us, ask your liver. Ask your heart. Ask your brain. Can they take a day off? Can they stop doing their job? Can the the heart say, I'm tired of all this beating. I want to be the liver. It just sits around and filters. I got to do all this beating, 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 beating. I'm going to switch jobs. And so you see the heart trying to be your liver doesn't work so good because the heart has one job. And it needs the lungs. If the lungs go out, the heart doesn't get the oxygen. If the heart stops beating, the body doesn't get the oxygen. We need each other to grow together, to walk together in the body of Christ. Now, someone who's listening may say, well, I, you know, I'm from a different country, and we don't have a church that I can be a part of. Well, if you're listening to the prayer center, then they're probably God's called you with us. And so you're part of our body, and there is a job that God has for you that he's going to be building in you when you're seeking and praying God. What I don't want is for you to feel, hey, I'm over here by myself. i got no one else. I guess I'm just called to go out and lay hands on people and witness to people. Maybe, maybe not. And out of misunderstanding, that has become our default. Our default is, if, something's not, if I don't see something working in my life, I default to, at least I can do this. And I think all of us should be winning souls, but not all of us are called to be evangelists. In other words, if there's an opportunity that opens up, someone asks you a question. I remember when I started going to physical therapy, they asked me to be the keynote speaker at the uh, graduation for the, the physical therapist. And I got ready to go and do my speech. And the main guy came to me and said, Now, Alan, this is the university or the college. So the president of the college is here, and many of the donors, special donors to the college are here. They're all excited to hear your testimony. And he said, But please understand, because we're, I know we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but not everyone is a Christian who's attending. And he was talking specifically about some of the donors who were kind of anti Christian. I said, Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I'm a preacher, so. I'm going to have God involved with my speech, but I won't take up an offering then. I'll put, I'll, I won't do that. <laughs> and it wasn't offensive. I brought in God and everything, and I was totally welcomed by everyone with the message of the gospel. And I've had many opportunities to share the understanding of salvation with people. But when you lead someone to the Lord... You, in my eyes, are taking on the responsibility to make sure that they find the path to their calling. Otherwise, you've abandoned the baby to figure out life on its own. 
It doesn't tell us to go ahead and get people saved. It tells us to make disciples. And if you're in a place where you're not a part of a body that can do that, then I want you to rethink how important it is. Because when you know what your job is, you quit trying to do everyone else's job. When you know what, when you find your place, you're safe in that place. You can't get around it. If you're born again, you're also part of a body. A part of a body. Which means that there is a job for you in the kingdom of God that is not generic. There's a job for you in the kingdom of God that is specific. And as you spend time with God, you'll find that he'll want you to grow up into that, into him, and allow him to place you in that job. And many people are in the middle where God hasn't placed them in their job yet, and they're still seeking God. Well, that's, that's a good place to be. But just while you're waiting for God to put you in that place, don't go out and try to fill it with other jobs, trying to do good. Listen, when I started off serving God, I was 18 and the church I was at was a good church, had a lot of people saved, but they were workers. So that meant that when you're part of the church, your job was to help build the church, build it financially, build it with people. So we did things. We planted a tree farm, bought the trees, planted them, bought the land, because one of our guys was a tree salesman, and so he was going to allow us to grow the trees, and you know, I think in six years we'd harvest them, sell them, and make the profit to go into the church fund. We bought and sold cars. When one guy's a car salesman, he offered his time and his effort. We as a church raised, I think, $1,000 or $2,000, and he found the car, we bought it, he sold it, the church got the profit. There was an old building, old prison that they were tearing down. Well, we as a church bought the, the rights to the brick, because old brick is, is more valuable than new brick. And so we bought all this big pile of rubble. And we went in every weekend and we'd take a little chisel. We had to chisel all the cement off those bricks so the church could sell them or someone in the church could sell them so the profit would go to the church. And all that's good, but there was no emphasis on, hey, go seek God, go pray in tongues, go spend time with God. My relationship with God was solely built on my actions of doing things for God. And you can either make your actions taking the, the mortar off a brick or going out and, and sharing the gospel. And you can say, well, this is my actions. This is my duty. Where God may say to you, like he said to me one time, I, I don't want you to preach. I want you to sit and pray and get to know me. That wasn't forever. But it was a season of my life that was so focused on prayer because I had to learn to trust God and not man that it was hard for me because it stripped me of feeling valuable in the kingdom of God. I did not feel my value because what am I offering God? That's what the enemy uses, that feeling of unless I'm doing something for God is because we have been in our Christian culture, so much of that has been accepted as this is your job, church, to go out and bring people to church. If you're a Baptist church, go tell your neighbor and invite them over. If you're a busy church, we're going to feed the poor. Go out and share the gospel 
Invite them to church. If you're a spiritual church, go out and pray for the sick and speak over people and bring them to church. But if you look at statistics, let me ask you, where are all the people? When we testify, we got 150 people born again this weekend. Why are they not in church? Maybe that we've watered down the initial message so much that we made it okay for people to say the sinner's prayer so they don't go to hell, but then release them back to the devil so they end up in hell anyway. And now they're not only heading that direction, they're confused. I think it's time for someone somewhere to show a church that is healthy and scripture-based. Chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body in one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's grace towards your calling. I think there are many believers right now who do not experience the grace towards their calling because they're not in their calling. They live the life of not allowing God to put them to work. They're like the dancers. You want to see Gary dance? Go ask him, Gary, can you be my mentor? And he'll do the dance. Like, oh, oh, psh, psh. no, not me. I'm not called to do that. He'll dance around you until you, you find someone else. Like, you know, you can't get me. You can't, you can't lock me in, buddy. Well, there's people who do that dance with God when it comes to their calling. God's trying to stamp their calling on them, say, let's go towards this. But they feel that it's so unvaluable. What do you mean, God? Called to be the sound guy. What do you mean, God, you called me to, to write? You called me to, to do that? You know, there's people who are called to only write. The one guy I like to talk about who I met when I was in Michigan, and the pastor introduced me at a restaurant, and, and he was from, I don't know where he's from originally, probably Michigan, but he, was a, he became a missionary to um, Papua New Guinea. And I guess it has... Two halves, New Guinea. One half is civilized, the other half is jungle. And God sent him and his wife to the jungle to one tribe. And he spent his whole life, raised his kids in a hut, no Wi-Fi, no electricity, raised his family there, and that tribe had no written language. So he moved there, And he learned their language. Then he wrote a written language for them. Then, once he had taught them the written language, he translated the Bible into that written language for that one tribe. His whole life, and if I never met him, I never would have heard about him. But I'll tell you who has heard about him is heaven. But I never heard about him. But he spent his whole life ended up really affecting that whole tribe for the rest of the life of the world. And I remember because we were at lunch and he said, now what we do, and I sang goodbye, he said, now what we do in our tribe, he called it his tribe, what we do in our tribe is 
when we say goodbye and share love, we actually put our fingers in each other's mouth. And he took his hands and he went toward my mouth and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't, I didn't stop him, but I, didn't, I was frozen. And he, right before he got to my mouth, he goes, yeah, but we don't have to do that. We're in America now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was like, yeah, oh, praise God. I don't know if I would have slugged you or I don't know what I would have done. Like, well, you gotta, you're going to put your fingers in my mouth. Mine get to go in your mouth. <laughs> you know? But his whole life was spent. And if we threw him into our Christi- American Christianity culture, we would have dismissed him. And he could easily just be someone in the church that no one knew about. And really, that is part of the calling, is for not seeking man's approval, but God's approval. We have revival, and people come to get healed, and all of a sudden the sound goes off, and the camera goes up to the ceiling, because the cameraman's up here trying to pray for people. The sound man's up here trying to pray for people, because, hey, you know that's the only important job. The only important job is laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. The only important job is preaching behind the pulpit. That is wrong. God has something for you in the body that's specific. It's a job. And I want you to be careful. I'm talking to all of us right now. I need us to be careful not to dismiss that and to say, oh, I just get to pray and worship, and then I get to live my life and hang out and do fun stuff. If you ever had a job, you know, this is work. If it's not work, you don't get paid. You have a job that's work in the kingdom of God. And as you seek him and pray, he will begin to push you in that direction or lead you in that direction, if you want, because he needs you because you're part of the body. What we want to be careful of as the prayer center is coming to the place where we see miracles, but we are insufficient as a body. Okay, we got someone saved here in church on Sunday. I need someone who's going to pastor them who can spend time with them, who can mentor them. And you hear this all the time. It's one of my pet peeves. Someone comes up, hey, hey, pastor, yeah, uh, just letting you know, so-and-so here, they don't have food for lunch. Just letting you know. Well, why the heck aren't you buying them lunch? Because in your mind, you think that's the pastor's job. That's the five-fold ministry job. You know, it'd be good if we did that. You know, my motto when I ran the ministry at Norwell's was, if you came to me with a complaint, you left with the responsibility. You know, oh, that's good. Oh, glad you noticed that. Okay, what are you going to do about it? Oh, uh, uh, I was just telling you the lawn is really long or the windows should be washed. Great, there's a bucket right over there. Oh, no, no, no. No, I was just telling you. See, and I think it's important that we attach the responsibility of caring for people if we're going to minister to them. And as a church, as a body, God's heart is not just to have miracles. It's to use those miracles to bring people to salvation and to use that salvation to cultivate people into their calling so we can reproduce things and grow from generation to generation. A revival that's not just, okay, now we're saved, now I'm going to, and I got healed, Okay, see you later. And some guy gets you in the parking lot and says, well, you know, praying in tongues isn't for today. Well, why? That little baby just got poisoned. And we weren't there to protect it. Because we thought our job was just to get him saved. You have a whole life that's now 
broken because we weren't good stewards and we're willing to get birth to someone without caring for them or allow or bring them to the place of salvation. So the message today, individually we're to grow and pray and seek God and mature in ourselves individually, but also corporately you are, you are part of a body. And God's the only one who could put you in the part that he wants you to be. And it doesn't matter if you think it's not important or other people think it's not important. In God's eyes, it's the most important thing that you could ever do. Do that part in the body. The idea of ministering as Joel's army doesn't come from your calling. It comes from your personal walk with God. Joel's army message is that every believer, no matter what they're calling, has the right to lay hands on the sick and see them recover because of the anointing of the believer. But as a body, we have specific jobs that we cannot dismiss, even if we think, but God, wouldn't it be better if I just went out and win souls? I had 10 people say the Lord's Prayer last week. Don't you think that'd be better than me running camera? Don't you think that's more important, God? No, not if he says that's your job. Because you and I have to be together, connected. We need each other. I didn't get to finish reading the scripture. But you'll see in there that we're knit together and we're to grow into a perfect man. Jesus is the head, not the pastor, not the apostle. The rest of us are part of the body. You are an important part of the body and you have a specific job that God wants to take you to. Don't dismiss that. Don't ignore that or you will be sad when you get to heaven. But there's wonderful things that God has for you. And no one may know your name No one may acknowledge what you do. When God's your source, that's part of it. I don't know how many ladies spent a little bit of time on your hair this morning. I wouldn't say man because some of us don't need that much time. How about makeup? Do you do a little time on makeup? I don't even pick my clothes. My wife does because I always, even when I think I match, I don't match. So how much work did you do on your hair and your face? How much work did you do on your... Your liver. Did you thank your liver today? Say, oh, liver, you look good. How about your lungs? Thank you, lungs, for doing your job. See, it's kind of our, per- that's being a person. You, you put more effort on things that don't matter. Well, the body of Christ is like that too. Sometimes we glamorize the parts that aren't as important. We put more value on the pulpit behind than everything behind the pulpit. So you're not insignificant. Your calling is not insignificant. It is super important and valuable. Don't just be a lazy Christian who seeks God but won't go to work. That might be the title. (laughs) God has a job for you specific in the body, and God has given you the rights as a believer to, to operate in all the promises of God. You are released, and we'll see you at 10 o'clock.